0: This is the Ardella Training Podcast, episode number 58.
1: Welcome to the Ardella Training Podcast, the podcast dedicated to forging athletic bodies around the world. Ardellatraining.com is the no BS authority in kettlebell and barbell training for today's athlete, coach, and fitness enthusiast. Get strong, build muscle, and forge an athletic body with your host, the scientist of strength, Scott Ardella.
2: Hey
0: guys, what's going on Scott? And thank you for joining me for episode 58 of the Ardella Training Podcast. This is definitely a special episode as I interview a man collectively known around the world as Dr. Squad. That would be the one and only Dr. Fred Hatfield. This is a great interview. I think you're going to get a lot out of it. I know that I did and we covered a lot of topics. So really, really good stuff. And I highly encourage you to listen all the way through this great interview. All right, a couple of quick announcements before we get started. Actually, the first thing is I want to thank a listener, Matt Wiggins, for giving me a nudge and sending me a message and saying, Hey, Scott, why don't you interview Dr. Fred Hadfield? He's a perfect fit for your show, and he's a wealth of knowledge. And it was basically at that minute that I got that email from Matt that I decided that I was going to reach out to Dr. Hatfield and hopefully get this interview done for you. Now, Dr. Hatfield has been on my list of people to interview for a long time, and I'm just really, really happy that it all worked out, and I just wanted to thank Matt for giving me the nudge to to make it happen sooner rather than later. All right, let me give you a couple of quick announcements here before we get started. The first thing is, if you could please share your review in iTunes, that would be greatly, greatly appreciated. The reviews only take a minute of your time and it's really easy to do. Now I do realize that some people don't know how to actually post a review so what I'm going to do in the near future is write up an article and show you the simple steps about how to actually post a review on iTunes because it's extremely easy and seriously it will only take a minute or two of your time to do that and the reviews really really help. So I would greatly appreciate it if you could do that and if you don't know how to do it I will let you know about the um, upcoming uh, article that I'll have that'll show you how to do it. The next thing is I wanted to let you know about it. I've talked uh, on the past couple of podcast episodes about some announcements coming. And next week I wanted to let you know, I'm going to tell you about the first thing coming your way. So uh, it's a really great new resource, a new project that I've been working on that's coming your way. And it's, it's a cutting edge uh, resource. I think that'll really help us all improve our training and performance and kind of, kind of a very unique thing. And I'll tell you all about it in next week's show. I'm going to email my subscribers and, uh, they're going to be the first ones to know about it. And that email will be coming this week. And if you're not on my list, uh, I will announce and tell you, I will make that announcement and tell you about it in next week's show. So I think you're going to really, really like it. So I'm excited to tell you about that as well. All right, let me get started and, uh, tell you about dr hadfield now i know that most of you listening already know who dr hadfield is again dr squat uh again a legendary man in the uh, strength training industry he's been around for a long long time just incredible background and incredible um, history in strength training but let me give you some of the the formal specifics some of the highlights of his career in his pretty extensive bio now dr uh, fred hadfield earned his doctorate In philosophy from Temple University with competency examinations taken in sports psychology, motor learning, and sports sociology. He he is the president of the International Sports Sciences Association, the ISSA, which is a major provider of continuing education and a certifying agency for sports training, fitness therapy, and personal fitness trainer professionals. Let me tell you about his association. So, he was a consultant to the US Olympic Committee the IFBB, which is the International Federation of Bodybuilders. He's been a consultant to many powerlifting federations, a consultant for the Fox Network and CBS Sports. He was also a coach three times for the U.S. National Powerlifting Team and a member of the executive committees of the U.S. Olympic Weightlifting Federation and U.S. Powerlifting Federations. So Dr. Hatfield obviously has been involved in powerlifting, in Olympic weightlifting. He has a background as a gymnast, let me tell you about that as well because he was a standout college gymnast. Dr. Hatfield has authored 70 books, 70 books, and countless articles on sports fitness, weight training, and athletic nutrition. He was also um, active as a competitive bodybuilder. As a matter of fact, he won the Mr. Teenage Connecticut, the Mr. Atlantic Coast, and the Mr. Mid-America in bodybuilding. He's also a former weightlifting champion. He's broken over 30 world records as a powerlifter. But the highlight came in 1987 at the age of 45, when Dr. Hatfield established a world record in the squat at 1,014 pounds at a body weight of 255. Now, this is actually the first question I asked him in the interview, is I asked him, what was that experience like? What can you describe the setup and, and what did it feel like to have a thousand pounds on your back? So it's really that was like the burning question for me is what was that experience like? What did that feel like? And he described that. So his f- uh, frequent world record breaking performances have gained him the nickname of Dr. Squat. And again, he's known around the world. If you just mention Doctor Squat, people know that this is Doctor Fred Hatfield. Now he remained competitive in masters level Olympic weightlifting. It was in June of 2000 that Doctor Hatfield was inducted into the Powerlifting Hall of Fame. Now he actually has more of an extensive bio than what I just mentioned, but these are these are the highlights. Of Dr. Hadfield's accomplishments. And again, he is uh, such a wealth of information and, and such a resource. And he's done, he studied in Russia. He's worked with uh, Dr. Yuri Verkashansky, the author of Super Training. He talks a little bit about that in this interview session. And uh, again, just incredible years and experience and wisdom. So uh, c- consider this session kind of like a, a mentor Um, experience, because that's really what it is. I, I think that anytime you have an opportunity to learn from someone that has such extensive experience and knowledge like Dr. Hatfield, we really need to take that information in. So I highly encourage you to listen all the way through this interview and think about the things that he talks about and think about what you can use in your own training. Knowing what your goals are, knowing what your training objectives are, what can you use out of this discussion to make yourself better? So really think about that and then think about what you can use and apply to take action with at the end of this interview session. So I'm really, really excited, really honored to share this great interview with you from the legendary Dr. Fred Hadfield. So let's jump right into the interview. All right, everybody, I'm extremely honored to bring you this amazing interview with the legendary, the one and only Dr. Fred Hatfield. Dr. Hatfield, thank you so much for being here today.
1: It's my pleasure, Scott.
0: I truly appreciate it, and it's such an honor. And I'm so glad to have you for this interview because I know it's going to be amazing information that you're going to share with the listeners. And I thought a lot about the first question I would ask you. And I thought that a great question, a great way to open this up would be to talk about your 1,014-pound squat that you did at the age of 45. And I wonder if you could share what it was like with going through that experience from the time that you set up underneath the bar, you squatted the weight, you put the bar down. I know I've seen the video countless times on YouTube, but I wonder if you could walk us through what that experience was really like.
1: Sure. <laughs> I don't know. What do you say? You know, a thousand pounds is a pretty heavy weight. Yeah. Uh, just imagine somebody taking your thumb and, and, and pressing it hard into your forearm, for example, Yeah. as hard as you could, you are still not going to get a thousand pounds. Well, the whole point of that is that uh, when you have a thousand pounds pressing down on your frame and your whole musculoskeletal structure, Yeah it's it's crushing it it uh it's not not that it hurts right it's, it's so heavy that yeah uh, you, you you wonder if something's going to break
2: <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: And right anyway but you know yeah it's it's heavy and it and it uh it it um, it's bone crushing but uh once it was over, it felt really good. <laughs> yeah,
0: I can imagine. What, what was your mindset going into that? I mean, did you, did you know? I mean, did you have the mindset that you were going to squat 1,000 pounds? I mean, oh, sure, you must have. sure. Yeah.
1: Um, uh, the, uh, the only way I can describe the mindset is that there is no mindset. You've got to take your mind and put it aside. Uh, your five senses are, are not operative during a lift like that. Uh, you go beyond your mind to another place altogether, where there is no pain, there is no thinking. You don't feel the uh, sweat running down your face, or the chalk dust in the air, or the crowd screaming. None of that. Uh It all goes well in one ear and out the other, as it were. And and uh, you've got to you've got to find a different place in your mind in order to uh, think pure movement. You go down and you come up and. That's the end of the story, and uh, it's it's like it's almost like being in a trance or in an out of body experience of yes. some sort. Yes, you uh, you you can't be thinking about anything.
0: Uh, that's amazing. What was your weight at the time that you did the squat?
1: Um, on that particular day, I weighed two fifty five.
0: Okay, all right. And your height is how tall are you?
1: Uh, five foot seven.
0: All right. And how many, how many years were you training? So you did this at the age of 45, as I mentioned, but when, when did you start training? So how many years did it take you to get to that level of strength?
1: Wow. I mean, I, you know, I started lifting as a young boy. Um, being raised at a farm, I knew that I was a pretty strong kid. I was able to throw bales of hay up in a truck as well as any man at the age of 12. So I knew I was a pretty strong kid. And one day I saw some uh, older boys working out in the gym or in a, uh, in a garage when I was on my way home from school and I stopped and I watched them and they invited me up and said, here, let's see if you can lift this. So I did. I, I, it was a 125 pound York barbell set. And I picked it up and I pressed it a few times and put it back down, and the, all of the guys were flabbergasted because not a one of them could do that.
2: Yes, so,
1: I mean I knew from a, a young age that I was a pretty strong fella.
2: Right.
0: So and kind of that, kind of came naturally to you in some well,
1: sense. Yes and no, it it, it came naturally uh, to a degree. But bear in mind that I was already a very strong kid from working on the farm. you, you know, you when you work on a farm, you get strong. Right. So, but yeah, I was stronger than the average kid out there.
0: Okay. Is there maybe one big factor that you would say contributed the most to being able to lift so much weight, specifically squatting a thousand pounds? I mean, was it the the training program? Was it just putting in all the, the time and effort through the years? What, what do you think is the biggest factor that got you to that level?
1: Well, you know, there were plenty of guys out there that were, uh, more gifted than I, uh, but they weren't able to do the weight. And, uh, and I was, and the only, the only reason that I can see is that, uh, I gave it an awful lot of thought. You know, the, the, the fact of the matter is that no one in the world had done any research on limit strength. Powerlifting was a brand new sport. It was the only sport ever to measure limit strength. Every other sport, measured starting strength or reactive strength or some such thing. But limit strength was always overlooked because it simply wasn't that important in the world of sport. You see, in all the world of sport, speed is King, right? That's not, not strength. Right. So the Russians, for example, uh, uh, you mentioned Verkashansky. He, uh, he, uh, never looked at limit strength as being all that important. He was aware of it, of course. Everything they did, they did to improve F-Max. They didn't mess around too much with trying to improve limit strength because, uh, like I said, speed was king. And so they they concentrated all of their efforts on improving F-Max. Then powerlifting came along, and nobody knew how to get really strong there was no research on it per se, and, and uh, so that's, that's where I was when I first started uh, thinking about limit strength, and, and I, I had to do all of my own research, all of my own trial and error, and uh, I was fortunate enough to have a bunch of guys working out with me, and they were uh, very attentive to uh, my instructions, and uh, little did they know that I was learning as much as, as they were uh, about limit strength and how to get it just by watching them. And uh, and uh, I kept I kept uh, records on everybody that I w- that I was training at the time, including a, a whole group of uh, elite athletes from the world of football and, and, uh, and track and field and so forth. So I learned a lot. And uh, finally, I was able to put together uh, a reasonable group of training programs that uh, that uh, are actually laws and what do you know about laws? Well, you don't go breaking the law. Right. So I, I stuck to these laws. Everything I did uh, was to serve was to serve those laws, and uh, it worked out for me.
0: Can you give us an example of a, a law or a couple of laws? What you mean?
1: Well, there's a, there's a group of seven principles that are now and nowadays well known amongst all strength coaches. Yes. Uh, principles of uh, the law of overcompensation, of individual differences, the general adaptation syndrome, uh, propounded by uh, Dr. Hans Selye, a Canadian psychologist, um, the overload principle. Yes. Those are the principles that that, uh, regardless of uh, of what system that you're using, all of these laws have to be kept. And I have I have spent my whole life. Looking at systems of training that are uh, that are popular out there in our culture, and there was not a one, not a single one, that kept all seven of those laws. They uh, people would break the law and right. break the law and break the law, all for the sake of being able to say, "Look at the system that I created." And little did they know that these law, these systems that they were creating, were were, uh, less than perfect.
0: Now, did you say, so these are principles or laws that, that you developed over time with your, your own research?
1: Well, I won't say that I had developed them. I, I certainly, uh, put, put them into some kind of a, uh, perspective. Yes. Uh, you know, and I, uh, uh, if, you know, my, my thinking was very simple. If these are laws, then they must not be broken. And that's what, that's the, uh, that's the approach that I took.
0: Right. So these were your guiding principles then through your lifting career
2: that. Yes. Okay.
1: Yes. And, okay. and I would say that uh, perhaps more than any other law, if you want to call it law, it's, it's an easy thing to say in all the world of sport, speed is king, but that also holds true in the sport of powerlifting, even though the weights are moving relatively slow, the, 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 uh, the When you're training for limit strength, you've got to move the weight as fast as you can. Right. That may not be very fast, but if if you're thinking uh, all the while of of turning on every available motor unit, uh, that means you're sending down a chemoelectrical impulse from your brain to your muscles that's massive. And you've got to turn on all your motor units that you can possibly turn on otherwise you're not going to get to uh, anything close to limit strength you're going to you're going to improve your strength all right but your limit strength will will never be touched you've got to turn on and that system of training i i uh i coined the phrase compensatory acceleration
2: yes. training yes CAT Right.
1: Basically all of it, uh, all it involves is you got to turn on as many motor units as you can every inch of the way through the entire range of motion. And, uh, up near the top of the, of the lift, uh, let's say in a squat or the bench press, for example, there is a, 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 a natural tendency to slow the weight down for fear of hitting the end point so hard that you throw yourself off balance. or the weight comes crashing back down on you or something like that. Right. And up you know, and all I can say about that is that it's it, it takes like a day of practice to get around that. You, you don't turn off until the very last minute. The weight being so heavy, it's going to slow down naturally anyway. So you're not going to get the ballistic stress at the end point with heavy, heavy weights. The only way that would ever happen is if you're lifting lighter weights, like for example, a weightlifter lifts lighter weights because they, they've got to put the weight overhead. And uh, so powerlifters uh, lift much heavier weight than, than uh, Olympic weightlifters. So the weight is not going to uh, uh, be going ballistic at all during a powerlifting movement.
0: Compensatory acceleration training would be used with powerlifting techniques. So the ballistics then, I mean, they're already used in weightlifting techniques. So in a sense, we're already doing... C A T with weightlifting is that correct to
2: say that?
1: Well, yes and no. First of all, you got to understand that the word ballistic. Just think, for example, of an intercontinental ballistic missile. Why is it ballistic? Because after the initial thrust, the weight, the rocket itself is is going freely. It's not being propelled by anything. It's just going through the air like a bullet. But if it's directed carefully at first, uh, the bullets will find its mark. That's ballistic. Uh, and uh, you don't exercise control over something that's going ballistic by definition. But uh, So it's not really a ballistic movement in, in weightlifting because the weight is still in your hands and you're still in control of your body underneath the weight and so forth. So it's not ballistic. It's just very, very fast. Okay and uh the minute it goes ballistic you're going to throw yourself off
0: so i wonder if you can give an example then of using cat in in the deadlift so let's say in a training program during the course of a week what would that look like let's say the individual is training deadlifts twice that week so are they doing yeah. one one session where they're doing compensatory acceleration training and the other session is a standard deadlift technique
1: no in 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 in, in powerlifting, every movement you make is done with compensatory acceleration. There's no such thing as standard. You always lift with compensatory acceleration. So as you pull the weight off the floor, you're trying to move the weight as fast as you possibly can. Every inch of the way. And, and there's a good reason for that. There, there's a, a, one of the laws in, in, uh, in uh, training has to do with time under tension. Yes. Basically, you want to increase the amount of time under maximum tension. It's not just time under tension. It's time under maximum tension that forces an adaptive response in your muscles and in your nervous system. So by pulling the weight as hard as you can every inch of the way, as leverage improves, through the lift, compensate for that improving leverage by accelerating the bar is the term compensatory acceleration. Right. And uh, you've got to do this uh, all the way through the lift. The, the minute you're not compensating for improving leverage, you're not pulling with, with all the force you're able to. And you're going to get caught at the sticking point. How- you know what I mean by sticking point? It's the point at which a yes. group of muscles stops um, its, uh, its work when, and another group of muscles takes over for example so like in a deadlift the glutes and the hamstrings your posterior chain is pulling the weight off the floor but at some point the posterior chain is not the important muscles any longer but the quadriceps are and the low back you see what i'm saying right and uh, there's a, a transition uh, period between those two muscle groups that's typically referred to as a sticking point where a guy is able to pull the weight off the floor very easily, but down around his knees, he gets caught up and he can't pull the weight anymore. Right. Well that would never happen if you were compensating for improving leverage by pulling harder on the bar.
0: Okay. What methods would you recommend to improve this type of training? So what, what other assistive devices, uh, would help a lifter improve?
1: Well, you know, it's just a matter of concentrating on what you're doing, you know, Uh, being able to exercise compensatory acceleration is not something that happens overnight. You've got to practice it and, uh, and and, and you've got to concentrate hard on uh, knowing exactly when leverage is improving and, and, uh, and uh, therefore you've got to try even harder to move the bar in Olympic weightlifting. For example, most guys will not rip the bar off the ground They'll gently ease the bar off the ground so that they can get into that nice position for a second pull. Right. That second pull is done with tremendous explosiveness. Powerlifting is not the same. You want to pull as hard as you can every inch of the way. You see, Olympic weightlifters aren't aren't concerned about a sticking point because the weight is still relatively light in comparison to what a powerlifter might pull with a, uh, limit lift.
0: How long, how long would you recommend doing a, a uh, compensatory acceleration training program for, I mean, is this something that could be utilized? If, if a lifter's goal is true strength, getting as strong as possible for powerlifting, how long of a program cycle should they use throughout the year?
1: Like, like any sport, powerlifting is best approached, uh, through, exercising some sort of periodicity. You cannot go upwards in your strength levels in a straight line. It's got to be a wavy line going ever upwards.
2: Yes. That's a key. So concept. you
1: back off and then you push harder and you back off and you push harder. Right. And the nice thing about, about compensatory acceleration training is that even if you're only working at 65 or 70% of your max, you're pulling or, or squatting the bar or bench pressing the bar uh, with maximum force. So even though the bar, let's say, only weighs 600 pounds, and I'm capable of doing over 1,000, I can get a, a great workout in with 600 pounds, even though it's relatively light. The reason is that I'm pushing as hard as I can every inch of the way on that bar. So I'm getting 100% max every single lift every inch of the, the way. So the time under maximum tension for me is always optimal, always. Whereas if I were lifting in a conventional manner, only half of the amount of time that I spend underneath that bar is uh, maximum tension. So who's going to make faster gains, me or the conventional lifter? Well, I am, of course, because I've got time under maximum tension uh, far, far in excess of the normal lifter. So going
0: back to where we started with this conversation, I just want uh, listeners to understand. So the important thing in getting stronger is maximum recruitment or turning on um, motor units. That's correct. Okay. I also wanted to ask you along these same lines is I heard you say that you would use a a vertical jump when you deadlifted to initiate the stretch reflex. Uh, Is this something, is this something you would advocate? I I know it worked for you, but Do you advocate this for most people, most lifters? Uh,
1: I, I, let me, let me advocate this. Give it a try and give it a good try. Work on it for a couple of weeks or months and, uh, and see if you can make it work for you. For me, it added another 10 or 15 pounds to my lifting ability by taking advantage of stretch reflex.
0: Now, would you recommend this in the deadlift only or the deadlift and squat or where, where would you recommend this?
1: Well, you can't use it in a in a bench press or in a squat because you've got to lift the bar out of the rack and then back up and and like and uh, get yourself set and stuff like that. By that time, any stretch reflexes happening would have dissipated. But in a deadlift, you can do it because you're already in position. All you got to do is dive on the bar and and begin the pull.
0: And again, your your guidance would be to experiment with this. Don't go into a meat And uh, and try this the first time in a meet. So it's something you really have to uh,
1: you've got to experiment with it to find out whether or not you're even able to do it. I mean, it takes a little while to get good at it. But uh, like I said, the science is there. It's 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 a technique that has merit, but you've got to get good at it before it's going to do you any good.
0: Dr. Hatfield, you've been involved in bodybuilding, powerlifting and Olympic weightlifting. So my question is, is it possible to integrate and be successful in, in all of these areas?
1: No, it's not. And because, you know, (laughs) each one of those, each one of those sports is very demanding in and of itself. Yes, Uh, And, uh, Uh, some of the things that uh, go into making a bodybuilder great, for example, uh, uh, would be counterproductive to an Olympic weightlifter or a powerlifter. Now, you can get pretty good at all three. I was pretty good at all three, but, you know, uh, for example, I'll give you one example. I I, uh, entered a bodybuilding competition and won my division, won uh, the Mr. Mid-America, which qualified me, to uh, compete in the Mister America, this was AAU years ago, and but I, I uh, it was in conflict with the powerlifting meet, the national championships that year, so I had to make a choice: right. Am I going to be a powerlifter or am I going to be a bodybuilder? So <laughs> right, it was right. for practical reasons that I didn't, I didn't enter the uh, the bodybuilding arena. And I wasn't, I was okay as a bodybuilder, but you know, the, I knew that there were a lot of guys much better than I. And I had a chance of breaking some world records in powerlifting, so I stuck with, with what I knew I was best at. And that's what I recommend to anybody. Uh, you know, Take your pick, whichever one you're the best at, and have the greatest chance for success at. That's the one that you should do. There's nothing like succeeding at a sport to make you love that sport even more. But if you're going to compete in a sport just for the fun of it, well, that's good, too. Don't get me wrong. That's but uh, then you can't cry uh, that uh, you're not winning. Yeah. Unless you put everything you got into it. Yeah. I, I just I never I was never of the mentality to compete in a sport that I knew I couldn't win at. You know I was that way in my injustice, I was that way in track and field. And I was that way in in uh, in uh, in soccer. You know all of the sports that I competed in. I wanted to win. So I gave it everything I had and, uh, it, you know, it wasn't until I was 35 years old that I finally found my way into powerlifting. It was a brand new sport at the time. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I, uh, in a relatively short period of time, I found myself breaking world records, uh, but I was I was a, a pioneer, I guess.
2: Yeah. And yeah, definitely. <laughs>
1: definitely. There, were guys, there were guys ahead of me uh, in powerlifting, but uh, that was very short lived. The, the minute I got serious about limit strength and started ex- doing all of my experimentation to find the best ways to get to get limit strength. Uh, at that point, I became the best. Right.
0: Yeah. I I mean, I figured it would be, I mean, I know that, I know that it's hard, you know, you can't really be good at any one thing if you're trying to do all these, these different things. And certainly those sports are all very different bodybuilding, bodybuilding being very different from powerlifting and Olympic weightlifting, but the powerlifting and Olympic weightlifting are are very different as well. And I'm, I'm wondering, is it possible to, to combine those two?
1: Well, I mean, even uh, if you put it this way, back in the old days, when I first got into lifting and bodybuilding, uh, for example, in bodybuilding, you didn't you weren't able to uh, do just bodybuilding. You had to be good in sports, one kind of sport or another. It didn't matter because you got points uh, for your sports participation. Uh, you, you didn't just win because you had the best physique. You won if you had the best physique plus was the best athlete somewhere right you follow what i'm saying yeah so yes. we it was a part of the sports requirement to be good at more than one thing uh, uh um samir benut is a perfect ex- example of, of that kind of a bodybuilder he was tremendous he won the olympia but he you know also he was doing a clean jerk with 425 pounds
0: wow i never knew that I never yes,
1: knew that. he did. You know, I mean, yeah. and all of the old-time guys were really strong guys. Yeah, yeah. take a look yeah. at Eddie Robinson who was world champion in powerlifting. At the same time, he was a, a, a top competitor in bodybuilding. Uh, it, it, you don't see that much anymore, but back in the old days, it was very common.
0: You're right. Do you think that today's bodybuilder should do more functional training, more more powerlifting, weightlifting style training?
1: I, I, I'm going to tell you this. I don't like the direction that bodybuilding has taken. Uh, I think the guys are grossly, uh, overly muscular where they shouldn't be muscular. The big guts, for example, the big bellies, yeah. and uh, and putting on so much muscle mass through the use of drugs and and uh, other substances, injecting into your muscles and so forth. I I I, I think it's grotesque looking. I don't like it. And I much rather opt for the old time physiques of the Frank Zanes and the Samir Benutz. Yeah, uh, uh, I like it. And even even uh, as uh, as uh, short time ago was Lee Haney. Lee Haney had a tremendous physique, but he wasn't heavily into all of that nonsense that the bodybuilders are nowadays. The IGF one and all that stuff. Right. Uh, they weren't available back in those days. And uh, I think Lee Haney was probably the last bodybuilder that had decent proportioning
2: and
0: what was his style of training
1: i trained lee quite a bit back in those days uh he was sort of a student of the fred hatfield abc system of training Uh a a days and b days and c days were very different from one another uh emphasizing different aspects of a muscle in order to get maximum growth and development it's a very complex system it's hard for me to describe it now, but anybody wants to look into the ABC system that uh, Lee followed, yeah. all you have to do is go to DrSquat.com and into the articles and you'll find ABC training there.
0: Okay, excellent. One simple question around the training though, but did it include anything like uh, deadlifts, basic deadlifts or any of the, the weightlifting movements, anything along those lines?
1: For powerlifting?
0: Uh, well, Lee's program, the ABC program, did it include like
1: no, no? All bodybuilders do squats and right, and, uh, right. stuff like that and benches. Yeah. So there's going to be uh, quite a bit of carryover into powerlifting. Uh, but I don't know too many bodybuilders who would even care to try to pull a heavy weight off the ground to hurt their low back or something like that. Yeah, yeah. they don't. They uh, you know bodybuilders are not going to have the same kind of foundation that a powerlifter would have.
0: Right now, now so, Ron, Ronnie Coleman was one of the bodybuilders, one, one of the more recent bodybuilders that did uh, heavy deadlifts.
1: Yeah, well, right? yeah. There's going to be examples uh, uh, all the way through the through the sport of bodybuilding of guys doing heavy lifts. Uh, but uh, as a general rule of thumb, I would say no. Right. Right.
0: All right. Let's uh, shift uh, topics a little bit. I wanted to ask you this, and I've heard you talk about it before, but how would you define fitness? I think this is a word that is very often misunderstood. So how do you define fitness?
1: You know, I I have wrestled (laughs) with that uh, very question uh, endlessly throughout my entire career. And, you know, there's really not one definition that's going to fit everyone, because for everyone out there, there's going to be a, a, a peculiarities in their lifestyle and uh, in, uh, in uh, their diet and the kind of food that they uh, prefer to eat. Everything's everything changes from person to person. It's a very individual thing. But as a general rule, uh, I would say that that fitness is your ability to meet the exigencies of your lifestyle with ease. And room to spare for life's little emergencies, like being chased by the neighbor's dog or slipping on the ice or a number of things like that. You've, uh, being fit means that you're able to live life through, uh, at, 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 at its fullest, given your proclivities. Yes. So, what did you like to do? So,
0: you're saying it's more performance than uh, having six pack abs, for example.
1: Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, all right. You Believe me, you're going to have a six-pack abs uh, if if uh, if uh, you're operating at an optimal level. And the reason that I say that is, fat has no place in a fitness lifestyle. That is not going to help you at all in any any sphere of your life, unless you're an Eskimo and <laughs> you know you've got a you got to live through cold winters a so little bit of body fat is going to be to your advantage but generally speaking uh you're always going to be able to see abs in a fit individual
0: now something i heard you say also in in a video a, a fantastic video by the way on youtube but you talked about being a fit individual is an unachievable goal can can you talk about that well sure
2: yeah
1: um if you tried to become fit in every sphere of of, uh, a person's fitness lifestyle, what you do in one sphere is going to detract from uh, your ability to achieve fitness in another sphere. Um, For example, speed, running speed, is is something that uh, you have to work very hard at achieving your maximum mobility in running. And if you try to do that, At the same time, you're trying to improve your endurance. It's not going to work. You see what I'm saying? Yes. Or strength limits strength. uh, Speed strength are two different things entirely, and you're trained for them in a much different way. And what what you do in one sphere is not going to be beneficial for you in the other. In fact, it may detract to a certain degree. Yes. So if you're into general fitness, overall fitness. Um that's fine that's that's achievable but being super at all of them is not even possible and shouldn't even be a part of your mindset
0: that makes uh, total sense i think and um
1: you got to think about your own lifestyle what it is you want to be
0: let me ask you a follow up to to that question so with the general fitness okay so kind of the, the general training approach so crossfit for example What are your thoughts on that type of training approach?
1: (laughs) You know, when I was a youngster in my teens and all the way through the Marine Corps and into college, that whole period of my life, 3.30, we all, all of the people who were uh, into the, heavily into fitness, we all did CrossFit. We were all gymnasts. We were all Olympic weightlifters. We were all powerlifters. We were all bodybuilders. We did everything. I mean, I, uh, I pictures on my on my uh, Facebook page. You you'll see me doing. I did an Iron Cross, and and pulled out. You know. Wow. Uh, I I was I was an accomplished gymnast. I went to the national championships in gymnastics. All four years of college, uh, and uh, wow. all of us did that kind of stuff. I mean being able to do a kip-up on the still rings is not the easiest thing in the world to do, but for, for a guy like myself, who was so heavily into fitness, I lived, ate, slept and breathed that stuff. And, uh, I could pick out 10 guys from my youth who would be world champions today in the sport of CrossFit. Yeah. Cause it was common back then. I mean, my, my buddy and I, we used to wait for the bus and uh, while we were waiting for the bus, we would have contests: who could do a flag on the uh, on the, <laughs> on the uh, pole? Yeah, the longest period of time. I wow. got to the point where I was able to do a flag and do chin-ups in a horizontal position.
2: <laughs> oh my gosh! Wow! <laughs> so,
1: I mean, that was that was our life back then. It, yeah. It's not done anymore. Nobody does that kind of stuff anymore now. So I, I was very happy to see CrossFit come along, but it's taken. A, an insidious turn. I'm afraid that what's happening in a lot of the boxes around the country, uh, you're having uh, uh, people who are ill-equipped to do the Olympic lifts, for example, or the kip up on the on a bar or the rings, and they're ending up hurting themselves. The the uh, uh, every, almost every other day, I read an article in a paper or on uh, on, on Facebook. Uh, where where the uh, orthopedic surgeons around the country are having a field day taking care of these crossfitters? Yeah, because yeah. they're hurting themselves. And you know, so you got to know what your limitations are. And sure, it's a it's a good thing to live that kind of a lifestyle. Uh, but but for sakes, you know, don't don't try to do a, a clean jerk for twenty reps. <laughs> right. You know. Right, right. You don't you don't do the snatch movement for reps. You do it two or three times. Yeah. That's it. That's the most you can do because once you're in a fatigued state, that lift becomes deadly dangerous. Same thing with doing a Kep-up or anything else. Uh, You know, in a fatigued state, all you have to be off is one millimeter and you're going to end up tearing your shoulder apart. It's crazy. Learn how to do the movement. Yes, but not for reps. That's not a part of that's not, uh, not something that uh, I would ever recommend, and, and I see it happening all the time. It, it's kind of heartbreaking, actually. Right. Because I like CrossFit, but you know, you don't do stuff like that for reps, and, and they're being ill-advised to do that stuff.
0: Yeah. So certainly there are things that, that they're doing well, and, and you talked about that, and kind of the generalized fitness approach is, is not, not a bad way to train um, but there are some downsides too, and, and you talked about that as well. And I think it's really important for for people to understand, you know what uh, what they're doing in their training approach. So, um,
1: yeah, know your limitations are.
0: Let's um, let's talk about strength, the importance of strength. And you mentioned earlier that speed is the king in athletics. Is that what you said earlier? Indeed. Okay.
1: Now, now when you're talking about strength, you have to be careful to differentiate what kind of strength you're talking about. Uh, There's strength endurance, being able to say, do the lift 20 times. And, you know, that takes a certain amount of local muscular endurance or strength endurance. Uh, Or you're talking about limit strength, vis a vis powerlifting type strength, or speed strength, like for example, uh, coming off the mark in a 100 meter dash. Right, yes. Uh, all different types of strength, and each one is very specific, and each one carries with it very highly technical methods of training.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Understanding that there are different types of strength, as you just mentioned, but is it safe to say that strength, depending on which type, that, that a type of strength is a foundational component? to well, of all sports, your function, sports and function.
1: Yeah, yeah, your foundation is always going to be your strength. Let's face it, movement would not be possible unless you had strength. Right. And the more efficient your movement is, the greater strength is involved, depending upon what type of strength we're talking about. So a person who is moving very efficiently in a gymnastic setting, for example, or a marathon run setting, depending upon the... Uh, the uh, metabolic circumstances inherent in your sport, you're going to require a different kind of strength. But strength is always going to be the linchpin for all human movement.
0: Absolutely. How about, I wonder if you can talk about the, the relationship of strength and health. Can you, can you talk about that? Maybe explain why strength would be important to optimizing health to a point.
1: Well, okay, now we have to define what we mean by health. uh, (laughs) Boy, you know, there are so many different areas that impinge on a person's health that, you know, a single definition is almost impossible to talk about chemical health. We're talking about uh, the health of your immune function. We're talking about uh, the health of your musculoskeletal system. Yes. Uh, You know, all different aspects of strength of health, I mean. so strength becomes important in some areas of overall health, but not many. I believe that strength is something that, uh, uh, that uh, will help you in your movement, make your movement more efficient, and therefore uh, you're going to be less apt to injure yourself, which isn't a very healthy thing. <laughs> yes. You know, you don't want to be injured because right. if you're injured, you can't say that you're that you're fit, and if you're injured, you can't say that you're healthy. So, right? You know, of course, strength is going to play a part, but uh, but certainly there are many many people out there whose health is optimal, who aren't very strong.
0: So, so a definition I've heard. And I'm just thinking about this. A definition I've heard is uh, health is described as the optimal interplay between the organs. So. I think you make a really good point. There are some very healthy people out there that that probably aren't strong, but would they be healthier? Would strength contribute to their overall level of health? I guess that's, that's the question.
1: Uh, explain to me how being a strong person is going to help you with your immune function or with your digestion or with your eliminative functions. You see,
2: yeah, no,
0: that's a great question. That's that's a million dollar question. I mean,
1: all of these yeah. things clearly are important for overall health, but uh, your your muscular strength is not going to uh, be uh, a weighty factor.
2: Yeah,
0: I think you. We could maybe say that the the, the benefits of generalized strength training could be a contributor to immune function. Um, just because of maybe the, the physiological effects going on during a training
1: session. Um, I suppose if you stretch a point. No, Let, let's put it this way. Uh, many of the factors that, that, that it impinge on a person's overall health, uh, are also important in overall fitness. Yes. and Also yes. clearly important in the, in, uh, peak performance in sports. But uh, so there's going to be overlap, no question about it. And I'm the first to admit that. But I think you're going to have to approach health from a different kind of a perspective uh, uh, than working out, you know?
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: You cannot become healthy by working out per se. It it can contribute to overall health to a degree, but there are other things that, that also contribute that have nothing to do with your working out. Yes, yes. I, I, and uh, let's, let's put it this way. You are held captive to your body. You can't, you can't step outside of your body. Uh, so you have to live your whole life inside of this body. So you've got to take care of your body. So being fit is going to contribute to longevity. Being fit is going to contribute to uh, uh, your level of happiness and your productivity. And all of these other things um, come from being fit. That's a good thing, and it should be celebrated. But and there's an awful lot of people out there who couldn't care less about their fitness, and the result of that is that they have uh, low health in their in their uh, older years, and they end up dying in pain or suffering, or they end up living the last ten years of their life, you know, very unhappy, unfulfilled. Uh, they live in Quiet desperation, waiting to die. that's not a good thing. So fitness, of course, is important.
0: I mean, from from the mental health aspect, from uh, self-confidence, self-esteem, those type of things.
1: I'm over 70 now, and I I have to tell you, I know a thing or two about staying healthy. (laughs) (laughs) I know, uh, I know. Contributory to my health. Is my physical well-being. So fitness for me has become a way of life that uh, I can't turn my back on because all of the things that I enjoy doing require that I be fit.
0: Yes. Yeah, you know, it's it's a huge topic. We could probably spend a whole episode talking about (laughs) that question to tell you the truth.
1: I have written nearly 70 books, you know, and all on the general topic that we're discussing now. So yeah, you can you can fill volumes and volumes uh, on this very topic. So yes, and I, I, I can tell you this that the that the scientists are are broaching areas of research that I think are going to hold tremendous promise uh, for the well being and the health of mankind. Uh, started with the uh, exploration of the of the genome. Yes. And now they're into proteonomics and other, other fields that are related. They're just exciting as the Dickens. Uh, and uh, I, I wish I had another lifetime to live because I would love to get into that field.
2: Yes.
0: And things are advancing so rapidly. It's uh it's amazing, really.
1: It's yes, indeed. Yeah. And uh, you know, I can easily see a day that will come soon where genetic manipulation to improve. One's health is going to be commonplace,
0: which is amazing. Yes, it really is. It really is. All right, let's. uh, I have a couple more topics here. Let's let's touch on uh, plyometrics. This is something I wanted to ask you about since uh, you know the topic very well. I wonder. So, so plyometrics is something that is thrown out a lot in training. methods and systems these days. So I wonder if you can describe for listeners, maybe kind of the, the, the realities of, of a true plyometric, what it is and where this really fits into uh, a training approach.
1: All right. Well, let's differentiate right from the very beginning that jump training is not plyometric training. I see people doing leaping and hopping and bounding and they tell me that they're doing plyometrics. They're not uh they're doing jump training yes and plyometric training uh the 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 term plyometric was a made up phrase by a, a an old uh track and field coach uh i believe it was fred wilt is his name uh and um the originator of the system of training known at that time uh, that fred wilk coined the phrase plyometric it was called shock method of training the shock method was developed by yuri Verkashansky, who was the uh, the head of the entire soviet sports machine that so dominated the world for years in track and field and other sports yes and the shock training has to do with receiving and repelling an object or it would be the ground or a ball or something, uh, in, the, in, in, uh, in, a, like a reactive explosive movement, uh, where you receive, for example, if I threw a medicine ball at you, you would put your both hands out, receive the ball, and, uh, you would allow your elbows to bend ever so slightly to, re- to, uh, stop the ball and then throw it back to me in the twinkling of an eye, uh, or the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, mechanism for being able to do that, uh, was the Golgi tendon apparatus, not necessarily your muscular strength you receive and repel the object instantly, uh, typically with nothing but the ligamentous or tendinous um, give uh, very little muscular involvement. And, uh, it's, it's very important in sports. Because as you know, most sport movements are done in the twinkling of an eye.
2: Yes. Uh,
1: you don't have a half a second or three quarters of a second to summon all of your force to throw a 100-mile-an-hour fastball. If you tried to do that, it, you, it'd never work. It, it's a very reactive-type movement uh, done in the twinkling of an eye, whether it be swinging a golf club or uh, an individual step in the act of sprinting uh, 100 meters it's done bam like that your your foot hits the ground and you uh, receive the ground and repel the ground as though it were white hot and you repel the ground in an instant you want to spend as little time as possible with your foot in contact with the ground do you see what i'm saying yes so yes. that is plyometric yes uh, but when uh, if if i tried to run with each step being uh, similar to a uh, a long jump I've never run a hundred meters and ten flat. You know, <laughs> it doesn't work that way. It has to be reactive,
2: right? Right.
1: The, uh, it's called amortization. Yes. Uh, where yes. The uh, the uh, downward movement is stopped, and concentric movement begins. That's that's the plyometric aspect, and it's not dependent upon muscular force per se.
0: What What are the dangers or limitations with uh, this type of training?
1: Because of the Tremendous stress that is developed in a plyometric type movement. It is not recommended that it be engaged in by any unfit individual. Uh, you've you got to be in halfway decent shape with your limit strength levels halfway decent, you know, and your and your uh, running speed and your jumping ability and all of these other elements of the of uh, of movement have to be pretty close to peak then you are ready to put the finishing touches on with plyometric type training. Uh, I would say um, easy leaping, hopping, and bounding eventually gives way to shock type movements uh, a la Verkashansky. And those shock movements will rarely be done for more than a couple or three weeks preceding competition uh, because they are extremely... um, uh, damaging if done to in excess you never do more than 5 or 10 reps for example and i see guys out there doing doing uh depth jumps yes for a half hour 45 minutes and they're just asking for massive uh trauma to their muscles and their ligaments and tendons in fact um uh, uh, some years ago i had a shot putter working out with me and and uh and unbeknownst to me he was running off to the field after after working out with me and doing depth jumps off of a 40 inch box. And he ended up tearing both his quads and he missed the Olympics.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: You know, and that just broke my heart to see that happen. Uh, and uh, and uh, a lot of people blamed me for it. I wasn't yeah. even there. And yeah. certainly I knew enough about plyometric training to know that you don't do that. Yeah. And so um, I felt really bad about that, but a uh, word to the wise, you don't do this shock training except for a very short period of time and never, all, never for long, long uh, workouts, just five or ten minutes.
0: Yes. Yes. So the, the, I think the key takeaway here would be to really um, understand the type of uh, training you're doing, if you're doing any type of uh, jump or plyometric training, and really understand the limitations and uh, potential dangers
1: with this type absolutely, of training. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and don't even do it on your own. Go find somebody who knows what plyometrics are. And, uh, the acid test is going to be to ask them to describe if they say leaping, hopping and bounding, you know, you go find somebody else because they don't know what they're talking about.
2: Yeah.
0: All right. Let's, I, I wanted to ask you, um, going back to a topic we talked about earlier, which is bodybuilding, uh, compared to strength training. It, so the two, two very different type types of training, two different styles of training. But I wonder if you, all of your years experience, Dr. Hadfield, knowing what you know today, if you maybe had a uh, big advice to gain muscular size, hypertrophy.
1: Read up a little bit on uh, how to get satellite cell proliferation. Uh, because it's these satellite cells uh, and the act of, uh, of uh, fusing with surrounding muscle tissue that's going to produce the greatest amount of hypertrophy. It's not something that you can do just by pumping iron. You've got to know what you're doing and how to, how to get the satellite cell proliferation going and how to force fiber fusion. That's the real secret to top level bodybuilding in this day and age.
0: And is this done, would you say this is done more through training or more through uh, nu- nutrition?
1: No, no, it's training. Of course, nutrition is a big part of bodybuilding. Don't get me wrong. Yes, you've got to you got to make sure you're getting plenty of protein uh, throughout the day. But uh, satellite cell proliferation is by uh, is achieved by carefully periodizing your training in such a way that you allow this proliferation to take place, and then knocking the Dickens out of your muscle yeah. and causing myofibril or splintering. Uh, and it's these slightly damaged muscle cells that fuse with surrounding satellite cells. It gives you massive size.
0: Okay. The, you know, the reason I asked that specific question is because I remember I, I had actually seen a research paper um, and one of the supplements was uh, one of the benefits was apparently improving satellite cell um, proliferation. So that's why I asked uh, you yeah. know, the the nutrition uh, or supplementation. If you
1: want to get a little up on, on uh, the whole method of training. Again, go to my website, drsquat.com, and read up on the ABC system of training that I use with Lee Haney. Okay. Uh, it was designed to uh, optimize uh, satellite self proliferation.
2: All
0: right. And I'll, I'll post a, a link to that article in the show notes for this episode for listeners. So. Um, Along those same lines. So now I want to ask the same question. So the biggest training advice to gain strength, what would your advice be for the listeners that want to improve maximum strength?
1: Cat compensatory acceleration training. (laughs) All right. That's the, you know, but in either case, no matter what sport you're in, but powerlifting, it seems really important as you've got to, you've got to figure out somehow, how to turn off your mind? You can't think your way through a heavy lift. It's got to be, it's got to be automatic. And the same thing is true of throwing a hundred mile an hour fastball. Uh, you know, it's it's got to be something that you practice and practice to the point where you know exactly what's going to happen, so you don't have to think. It becomes right. an automatic response. And if you're trying to think your way through a heavy lift, saying things to yourself like "Oh my God, this weight feels heavy today," or "or uh, you know, my leg itches. Yeah, are <laughs> like, too tight. Right, right. <laughs> you know, any number of other things that creep into your mind yeah, will yeah. track you, uh, distract you, and you won't be able to achieve a peak performance. So you know, learn how to shut your mind off and l- allow your autom- auto, the automatic response. And it can't become automatic unless you have practiced it so much that it that uh, it can be automatic.
2: Yes, it's just uh,
0: conditioned. Uh, Along what you're saying there, I want to ask, how much emphasis would you put on visualization? And how important of a role do you think that is in optimizing performance? I
1: don't know who it was that said this, but clearly it was uh, uh, an enlightened individual. What your mind can conceive, your body can achieve.
0: Yes, Napoleon Hill.
1: Visualization training is very important. Uh, In Olympic weightlifting, for example, uh, I would spend hours uh, going through a snatch movement, hours, until finally I was able to do it in my mind. You'd be amazed at how long it took me to do a perfect snatch in my mind. And once I was able to accomplish that, uh, I was able to do it on the platform. So, so it's, uh... visualization training is so important. And, and if you, if you want to think that it's purely mental, think again, because as you are going through a snatch movement in your mind, for example, or a yes. hundred mile an hour fastball, for example, yes. all of the muscles and ligaments and tendons and other proprioceptors in your body are going through that motion with you at the same time. So you're actually having a physiological response to your thought process.
0: That's amazing. You know, I just think the mental aspect of training sometimes is uh, not discussed enough. No, you know, it's, it's, it's not. It's kind of an, it's a, a very underrated. Or... In fact,
1: I just got through rewriting the ISSA textbook. And uh, uh, to my horror, I realized that uh, I had not, in my, my original textbook, which I had written 25 years ago, I never put in a a, a chapter on psychology. Yes fitness psychology. So I did. <laughs> wow. And it's, just, it's incredibly important. Yes. Very.
0: All right. Uh final topic here. And then a couple of closing uh, questions as we wrap up. So uh, kettlebells is one thing that, that I'm really passionate about. It's one of my uh, mainstays in training these days. And, but it's, it's not a new concept. It's not a new training tool at all. It's been around for a long time, as you know, but I'm curious your thoughts on, on kettlebell applications for the strength athlete.
1: All right. Well, you know, there are some things that you can do with a kettlebell that you cannot do with a dumbbell. So I, I, I have to say that kettlebell training is a nice adjunct to dumbbell or barbell training. And, uh, uh, but if, 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 if. I only had one implement, I would, I would, I would pick a, a dumbbell or a barbell any day over kettlebell. But really? Okay. Fortunately, we've got both. So yeah, I, I, <laughs> yeah. I I'm with you. I think yeah. kettlebell training adds a dimension that uh, can be very important.
0: Yeah. I, um, I, so if I had two tools for me, it would be a kettlebell and a barbell, um, I've kind of gotten away from dumbbells, but I I don't do bodybuilding style training anymore. I do more um kettle, well kettlebell training, powerlift type training, and and uh, weightlifting, which is a kind of a new area for me at at this stage in my training yeah. career. But uh, I I agree. I mean I think what you said is um I, so I I immersed myself in kettlebells a few years ago, and then what I found was that I was able to apply some of the principles that I rediscovered by using the kettlebell and the and the 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 strength and the movement efficiency. I applied those same principles to the barbell and it really helped me to, to rediscover the barbell again. And as a young kid, I've been training for a long time, Dr. Hatfield, but I, when I was bodybuilding so many years ago, Honestly, I, I didn't have a good coach. I didn't know what I was doing. So my, I wasn't barbell training years ago to today. I, today I am. I mean, it's very different. And I think the kettlebell just kind of helped me do that, but it's a great conditioning tool. Uh, but certainly the, the barbell is, is the king of strength. So no
1: yeah, question. I agree yeah. I agree with that.
0: All right. So I, I also wanted to ask you, um, about your training these days. Are you, are you still currently training? And, and if so, what does that look like?
1: I <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I, you know, I spent about four years recently uh, in and out of a wheelchair. I had cancer. Yes. And, uh, it spread to my bones and, uh, and the radiation therapy that I had to undergo uh, demineralized my bones to the extent that I uh, some of my bones just shattered. My whole pelvis was in pieces, oh. for example. So it took me a while in, in and yes. out of a wheelchair to get myself back together. And I just went through a month's worth of training. Uh, with a friend of mine. Uh, he, he he has a small gym around the corner from my house uh, doing um, uh, boot camp type training. Yes. You know, flipping tires and running, running short sprints and uh, waving that rope.
2: Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Battling
1: know? ropes. And yeah. slam ball and a whole bunch of other movements that I hadn't done in years, and so I after a month of that kind of training, I, I I started to feel really good. So I'm back in the gym now, and I'm doing doing some uh, simple bodybuilding type stuff, uh, getting myself healthy again. So that's where I am at right now. I'm, I'm at the beginning stages. I I'm not going to tell you that I'm going to make a comeback in powerlifting <laughs> because I'm not. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Uh, I do know the importance of fitness. And, uh, that's what I'm trying to do right now. I'm trying to once again, be fit. Uh, I spent too long away.
2: Yes. Yeah. I I, I
0: knew, you know, about your situation. I'm sorry.
1: Not by choice. Yeah.
0: Well, I, like I said, I I knew about your situation. I just, um, I wasn't sure if you were training or not. And I, I knew that, uh, listeners listening would probably want to know what you're up to and, and, uh, how things are going. So that's why I want to ask my, my wife
1: and I work out together and she's a, a great training partner. Let me tell you.
0: Fantastic. Uh, so people can find you online at DrSquat.com as you've mentioned,
1: oh, you know, that's, uh, let me, let me explain. Sure. dot is my website. However, for the past several years, it's been used by a, a friend of mine who owns a company called ProPower. And he, he sells equi- equipment and he sells nutritional supplements, all of which I developed for him. So ProPower is sharing my website with me right now, but my stuff is on there as well. Pretty soon, all of his ProPower stuff is going to be uh, relocated and and I'm going to redo my website so that it's strictly Dr. Squat.
0: Oh, excellent. That's great.
1: That's great. But, for the, but all of my articles are still there and uh, my bio is there and, a lot of other really good information is there,
2: yes. and while
1: you're there, definitely check out the software that I developed called BodyCraft. BodyCraft is really quite amazing. Right. Um, if you're if you're trying to uh, eat a balanced diet, you know how difficult it is to to balance that diet to make sure all of the nutrients that your body needs are are there. Yes. And, uh, and, and to modulate your uh, intake of the uh, macronutrients, fat, protein, and carbohydrate, without a computer, it's almost a, an impossible task.
0: Yeah, and I see that on the uh, website right now. So, again, I'll have links for all of this that uh, we discussed in the episode in the show notes for this episode. So you can uh, either go right there or just click uh, through from the links. Um, any yeah. other final um, things you'd like to mention for, about the website before I have the last question for you?
1: Um. If you're interested in learning more about training science, look into ISSA, International Sports Sciences Association. We were the first organization ever to offer uh, education and certification for personal fitness trainers. Yes. My partner, Dr. Salaria, and I were the ones who started this whole ball rolling. And there's a link for ISSA right on DrSquat.com.
0: Yes. I see that as well on the, uh, on the right-hand side. Again, I'll have a link for that as well. Yeah. Uh, so the last question, <laughs> so, so we've had a great interview. We've actually covered all the topics I was hoping to get to, and I know I learned a tremendous amount and I'm just, I'm really just so honored to to have you on the line to do this interview. And I can't wait to share it with people, but, well,
1: uh, I hope it's loud and clear that I enjoy this. Yeah. <laughs> I thank you for calling me and, oh. uh, any- Time,
0: Scott. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, but the, the big thing is now how can people take action with this information? So is there one thing, is there one big action that you can recommend to the listener to take right after listening to this interview?
1: Well, if, if you come away from this with anything, know this that if you want to really get into sports training, performance or fitness. It's, it's, a, it's a very, very exacting field. So educate yourself. Don't try to do it alone. Get yourself educated. And that does not mean listening to the local big guy at the gym.
0: So what would be the next step? What would be the specific step you recommend?
1: I mean, uh, there's plenty of good books out there. I've written a few books. Yes. Uh, there's other, other books out there. And, uh, and uh, uh, there's an awful lot of people nowadays who are pretty well versed. in the science behind, uh, training. So educate yourself. So I should say is a good place to start.
0: Yes. Uh, books, coaches, as you mentioned, uh, uh, well-established programs like the ISSA, I think are all great resources.
1: Uh, to do it alone. It's not not possible.
0: And you know, one thing I always uh, say, I'll just leave this as we part here, but, uh, you know, I've been at it for a while, but I'm, I'm just always learning. And I, I, I'm very humbled to, to be on this call and, and learn from you and, and everyone that I interview because I always learn something and it's just a constant journey and you, you can never know it all ever. I mean, you know, you can only build on your own body of experience, but there's just a, so much to learn in this field and about the human yes, body. It's, it's just an amazing journey. So I
1: wish I had another life to do it. <laughs> That's it you know
0: Yeah. Well, thank you so much. This has just been absolutely amazing. And I, again, I thank you so much for your time and sharing uh, all of your open wisdom here in this interview session. And That's
1: um, my pleasure, Scott. Thank you.
0: All right, guys. Well, there it is, the interview with Dr. Fred Hadfield. I hope that you really, really enjoyed it. I hope that you learned a lot and uh, are able to take at least one big action item away from the interview. Um, <laughs> again, just a lot of information covered there. A lot of great um yeah, training wisdom and insight from Dr. Hadfield. So thank you for listening. I'm going to wrap up here and get out of here. Uh, make sure that you listen to next week's show as I have the announcement coming that I mentioned earlier in the show. So I'm going to tell you all about uh, what's coming next week and uh, we'll see who the guest is on next week's episode. So, uh, and one final thing is don't forget that I will have all the links for the things that we discussed in this session in the show notes for episode 58 at Ardella Training. So all the links for um, everything will be there under the show notes section on the post. So thank you for listening. As always, train strong, train safe, and I'll see you on next week's show. Take care, guys. Thanks for listening to the Ardella Training Podcast. Go to ardellatraining.com right now to join Scott's tribe of passionate fitness enthusiasts. Get valuable updates and resources that will help you take it to the next level. Train strong. We'll catch you next time on the Ardella Training Podcast.